everybody, welcome to podcast. Yes, and it's called the Macabre Podcast Universe. And tell this me, is, uh, we exist. We exist to prove people wrong when they say sequels. Sequels are, are never ne- better than the originals. So I was trying to flip it on its head. Um, Sorry, it's okay. And we cover film franchises, and here we are covering another one. It's October. It is very scary outside. I'm shaking in my boots. There are pumpkins everywhere. Some of them have, like, creepy faces on them. Yes. Some some of them people call Jack. But some of them, like, have candles in them. Yeah. So there, there are murderers about. There's one guy who wears a William Shatner mask and stabs people. There's, There's another one guy, guy who that wears, wears a, a hockey mask and stabs people. Only there, at summer camps, though, so we might be okay. There's one guy who is only in dreams but has knives on his hands. He's fun, though. And then there's another guy. But he's not one guy. No, no, no. He's not even one person. He's several different people, several times. He is Ghostface. They are Ghostface. They they are Ghostface. And they're in the movies called Scream. And today we are covering covering Scream 3. Yes, okay, now we can put the script down and we can start doing the episode. Yep. Um, So we're talking about Scream 3. Now, Jordan, give me your first time with this movie, Scream 3. Just like the other two times. Rented it at Blockbuster when we rented the others and watched them all pretty closely together. And I realized as I was watching this, one, that I, whenever I do watch Scream, I watch all of them. Yeah. I don't ever just watch one. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That is that interesting. That I've never realized yeah. before. Because it is like, I, I never remember that this one is actually just kind of a bad movie. Yeah. Like, I, I know that... I my opinion is that it's just diminishing returns. Uh huh. The, the farther you get into the series, but I didn't think that this one was this low. Or I didn't, didn't remember. I didn't remember this one being. I I remember feeling a considerable difference in quality between uh two to three, but I I didn't think it was quite this low. Yeah. Um, when we watched them last year, and it was me for the first time, but this one dips a lot, and. As we're going to get into it, there are a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why. And I can't wait to hear them. Yeah. Because it does feel like there should, I, I need explanations. Yes. And, uh, but I will say this up front, I still think this is a fun movie. Yes, kind of. But, uh, so, like, if someone said, hey, I really actually love Scream 3, I would not spend a lot of time trying to argue with them why they... You know, like they misunderstood it or something uh-huh. like that. I'd be like, "Oh, cool, that's my least favorite," but yeah, I, you know, it's still fun. Yeah, but there, there's a lot of reasons why this movie did not turn out to the quality of the last two. Okay. Um. So, um, if you remember last episode, we talked about how, um, during Scream Two, there was a ton of rewrites. And there was the whole script getting online and stuff like that. And we cited that as an example of a lot of times when you hear stuff like that, the movie turns out pretty bad. Yeah. But that movie turned out really good. Yeah. This one is like the other version of that. Yeah. Where it's like it had a troubled production and it turns out to be kind of a troubled movie. Yeah. 
But having said that, we're not there yet. I, I'm, I'm excited to tell the audience, and I think you have forgotten about this, but this movie, so I've seen it twice, once last year when you showed me all the Scream movies, and then for this podcast, but I had seen like three, like maybe one minute of this movie, oh. and it was my first experience with Scream. And which part of the movie was it? I'm about to tell you. Okay. So I was at my grandparents staying upstairs. Age. I'm not sure. But kid? Like definitely kid. Like too young? Probably middle school at the latest. Oh, okay. That's fine. I would I would bet that I was uh fifth, sixth, or seventh grade. Okay. And I was flipping through the channels and I stopped and I saw this striking mask. And then I saw someone take it off. Oh, you saw the, the and the and wipe wipe their face and it is Roman, the director. Uh huh. No, the writer. He's the director of the He's movie. the writer. Then who's Milton? The producer? He's the producer. I thought this guy was the writer. No, he's the director of the movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's, that's, Sorry. What, yeah. Sorry. Um, so he takes off his mask and he wipes his, you know, his forehead and he's like, it's me. I'm the killer. And oh, that, that is he the director, yeah. The one shot of the movie. And that is my first and up to last year, like really my only experience with Scream. Hmm. So when, so wait, so oh, go ahead. Go so ahead. when we watched Scream, the first one, I was like, and I'm talking about the first time we watched it. When we watched it the first time, I was like, where's that actor? Oh, maybe he's in the next one. And then we watched the second movie, and I thought, where's that actor? Oh. And then when we finally watched the third movie and I saw him, I'm like, okay, cool. He's the killer. Okay. So I knew that going into Scream 3. Okay. Um, and then even this time going around, I'd forgotten who the killer was, see our last episode in Scream 2, and I was looking around, and I'm like, well, that guy's not in the movie, so he must be the killer in the third movie. Right. Just kind of a funny... That it, it speaks to, especially at that age even, how much, like, if I saw an image, I was going to remember that image. And wait until you solved it. Yeah. Yeah, like, like you know, you'd think, oh, but then you watched the movie, you know, 15 years after you saw that. Wouldn't you have forgotten? Yeah. Absolutely I not. have that. I have an image of a movie that I still have never seen. Yeah, what what movie? I, it was well, I don't know what the movie is, but I was a kid, and my dad was watching this movie, and this woman was ironing, and she looked off into the, to the distance, and this dog was barking, and then she looked at her baby, and her baby was ironed, oh. and it was really horrific. And then her husband came home and ironed her husband, and I've ne and and it's such a vivid memory for, for me because. Then the movie went a little bit later and I asked my dad, what is happening? What is this movie? And my dad said, it's people think that Jesus came back and they're killing babies or people are being possessed or something like that. And I'm just like, what? That is terrifying. And then there was this one scene where a baby was being baptized uh -huh. and my dad covered my eyes. So I don't know what happened. How old scene. were you with this movie? Too young. Yeah. I don't remember, but a kid. And then I got, so I think the, the bat, the thing that where my dad covered my eyes and then there's this other scene where this baby was in like an incubator and they like stopped giving it oxygen. This um, is why you can't handle when a baby gets yeah, in. I, I think so. I'm re I'm realizing that now. So I saw th that part and then I think the ironing part happened after that. And then I said, I'm going to go play video games. So I went to my parents' room, was playing video games and then I came back out to my dad and started crying 
And it was like, I'm scared. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think you were right to be scared, Jordan. Yeah, but I don't, but that, I don't know what that movie is. So, I've never figured it out. Okay. So if anyone knows what I'm describing, please let us know. And I'm going to, we're going to see if we can figure this out. Okay. So if, if we do, it'll be after the music at the end of this episode. We're going to tell you what the movie was. If not, we still need your help in figuring out what the movie is. Um, but that makes sense because, I mean, it is anytime in a movie when a baby dies, it is always more impactful. It's, it is the worst thing that can happen in something. Yeah, it, it is. But um, you have a particular, like, aversion to it, I think, even more than, like, the general audience. Yeah. And uh, I think now we know why that is. You're kind of, like, scarred as a child in in seeing this other movie that we don't know what it is. And it scared yeah. you. So... Wow. Cut to me watching Mother and bawling my eyes out and not being able to finish the movie because yeah. of the baby stuff in that movie. Yeah. And I, I like don't even like thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about Scream 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk about a little bit how this was made. First of all, I found out yesterday, I, I, I was looking at Wes Craven, and he, before directing... Um, is it Last House on the Left? That's his first movie, right? Yeah. He d- he did a bunch of porn films, which I did not know about, under different pseudonyms. Really? And um, I don't think he really wanted to do that. That's what he wound up doing. Okay. I'm setting up a thesis. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And then when he did Last House on the Left, it was sort of out of necessity of like trying to break out into being a director. You think, is that movie considered a cult classic? It might. I'm not sure. Horror movies. It always feels like they're always cult classics, that's even if they're point. mainstream. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um. Because even like The Shining took a while before people considered it like a legitimate classic. You know. Oh yeah, that's a good point. But that one is not really a cult classic anymore. There was a t- period of time where it was. But so he makes that movie. Then he makes Nightmare on Elm Street. Then he's you know then he's. And if you remember when we were talking about Scream, he was trying to make movies that were less horror driven. And then this kid tells him like your movies don't really have an edge anymore. Mm. Like he, mm-hmm. like make make some edge again. So he makes Scream. Then while he is trying to direct when he's getting ready to do this movie, I think and we're getting into opinion zone a little bit here. But I think his heart was not in this movie. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because um, in in researching it, he was definitely under contract. Oh, okay. That feels like that, too. And it, it, it just doesn't have the punch. And I've also heard on another podcast that, like, Wes Craven has, and I don't know how true this is, but it sounds like he's always been, like, I hate that I am, like, only known for horror, and I wish I could have broken out of it. Really? And... I think he acknowledges, you know, that he is a great horror director, but I I do think that, you know, so he he did porn, didn't want to do it, from what I could tell. Um, and then now it's like he did this, didn't want to do it. So I think that this movie is maybe like an encapsulation of being a little bored of being pigeonholed into this thing that he doesn't really want to do anymore. That's my thesis. I don't... I am reading a lot into it. So this is not, if you're having conversations with people about Scream 3, don't cite me as like fact. Cite me as opinion on this. Yeah. That's so interesting. That just makes me think of M. Night. 
and his where he, where it seems like uh we've talked to, to, about him to great length where it seems like though at this point in his career he has embraced what kind of director he is which is thrillers yes. and is like celebrating that mm-hmm. but he definitely admitted going through a period of trying not to be that guy yeah and and like wanting to do other stuff mm-hmm. but i think he did get to a point of like no it's not it's there's no nothing's wrong with me doing being good and like being the best at these things well and i think a difference there is m night realizing like me not doing thriller movies is me not being me and i think wes craven potentially is saying like me doing horror movies is not allowing me to be me yeah because i can only i'm only allowed to make these types of movies it's a theory interesting um but they're jordan were scratching the surface yeah. on the production so the writer of this movie is aaron kruger <gasps> and Uh-oh. he has written this is kind of his breakout i would say movie but so he's he, done a lot of other things yeah since then he did the ring the Gore Verbinski movie. Oh, okay. Which that, I just that's watched. Awesome. Because don't you like I, I do want to know what else he's done, but watching this movie and when it ended and it showed that it was not written by Kevin Williamson, I thought, oh, that's the issue with this movie. Yeah, because Kevin Williamson wrote the other three scream movies. Like that is the biggest issue that's probably the, the biggest, yeah, that's very insane. And I gotta know why he didn't write it. But keep going with this guy. Because yeah. he wrote Ring. Guys, if you haven't seen Ring yet. Ring is really, really underrated. Good. And underrated? People well, love that movie. No, no, no. Uh, well, let me just say this. You're probably listening to it and you're like, yeah, I watched Scream when I was 15 or, or whatever. Like it, everyone's seen or uh, The Ring. Did I say The Ring? I feel like I said no, Scream. No, you said Scream. I, I'm talking about The Ring. But people are like, I saw The Ring when it came out. It's awesome. What are you saying? Like, go, go watch it. I didn't see it until a couple months ago for the first time in my life. I didn't see it till this week. And I am like... So it's very excited scary. how how good it was. Yeah, uh, underrated. Um, in I okay, it it did crazy at the box office. It was a huge hit. People loved it, but critically, it's pretty mediocre reviews for The Ring. And I think it's like just as good as a great horror movie. Um, yeah. So I I like when I saw the the critic reviews, I was a little confused why it wasn't higher. Yeah. That that's what I mean by underrated. Sometimes it's like horror is so is at its best when it's almost making you think that it's not horror yeah because that that movie is very much just investigative journalism yeah you're solving a mystery the whole movie yeah so it's like it's just like a mystery thriller but then it becomes it is supernatural and paranormal and weird and all that stuff and and the video is so scary it's so scary Mm -hmm. i know and i still have I still have some time that I could maybe die from watching that video because it hasn't been yeah. seven days since I saw it. Okay, so he also wrote um, The Ring 2, The Brothers Grimm, um, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Transformers Age of Extinction, Ghost in the Shell, Dumbo, the Tim Burton movie. Very interesting. He's worked with a lot of crazy directors. He has. And a lot of... Uh, fantasy seems to be a common thread in these. Yeah. Even if it's the fantasy of, you know, like the scream murders. Yeah. Even though these are not fantasy movies, they do have like, some, you know, there's like a legacy uh-huh. folklore element. Uh, and then he co-wrote the upcoming Top Gun Maverick. Hmm. Which is very interesting. Yeah. 
Still haven't seen it. Got pushed again. Don't know when we're ever going to see that movie. Yeah. Uh, the cinematographer is Peter Deming again. Uh, music is Marco Beltrami again. The movie comes out February 4th, 2000. This is three years after Scream 2, four years after Scream 1. Uh, it had a $40 million budget and domestically made $89 million and worldwide made $161 million. Wow. Huge hit. So now let's get into what happened on this movie. So Kevin Williamson, when he was trying to sell Scream, he had written some treatments for sequels. So he had a whole third sequel ready to go, yeah. plot-wise. Yeah. Had like 20, 30-page outline by the time they're getting ready to do this. And the studio threw all of it out. Why? Well, uh, let's see if I can, I can do this. Um, so he, he was busy on other projects, so he couldn't do, finish the script. So they hired someone else to do the script. That would be um, our, our guy uh, uh, Kruger, who I just talked Freddy about. Kruger. Aaron Kruger, um, and uh, he basically threw everything out. Why? I I, I, I kind of have to tell. No, yeah, yeah. I keep saying it. Um. So because the, the, this is just this is big. The, there's uh, it's hard to even say. So. So set that part aside. Now I'm going to go back to Craven and talk about him for a second. Craven had been contracted after test screenings for Scream 1 for two sequels. Oh, wow. So that's part of why I'm boxing him in on, like, maybe he wasn't too into this. But then, shortly before the production of this movie, um, two guys, Eric Harris and Dylan Cl- Claybold, who people may know of, did it... Uh, were the Columbine shooters. Right. Um, and so they did the Columbine High School Massacre. And so in the aftermath of that, studios were scared yeah. about portraying violence in movies. Yeah. Because one of the things is people started looking for reasons why these two high school kids would go into a school and shoot people. And they look at movies like Scream. They look at movies. They look at death metal. Video games. Yeah. And all these influences. So as Scream 3 is getting ready to do production, the studios are like, we can't make this type of movie. This is going to make... And they're also factoring in how in Scream 1, that influenced some... Like a murder and some attempted murders. So they're like, we can't do this. So it's kind of what we were talking about in our last episode on, are you responsible? How would you feel... Exactly. And studios are responding to that question. Yeah, which, you know, we, we give, you know, it's easy to dunk on studios and just say, like, why don't they just let directors do what they do? But I, I could see if I worked at a studio in this time, I would be like, I don't want anything to do with Scream. Well, I don't want to touch that. I think it's the cynical part of me, though, is a studio head is thinking of no one's going to pay to see a movie with that. Actually, that's probably more accurate. Yeah. Um. So... The studio is like, well, even here, um, they're, they're, quote, aware of the potential for negative attention, but they decided to move forward. So hmm. it's more what you're saying, I think. Um, so they wanted to scale back the gore in this movie. 
Which is very interesting because when we were watching it last night, I didn't know this information, and I thought this movie is like insanely less gory than the other two. Yeah, like this, this without the f words, this is a PG thirteen movie. Yeah, where the other two are pretty, they're still pretty like this is an R movie. Yeah, this feels PG thirteen to me. Um, and so they is, no, this, there's so many f words. It's R. Yeah, all, all of them are. Yeah. Are. But but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. violence wise, this oh, feels yeah, yeah, yeah. more on par with PG thirteen. So they were kind of like so at one point in the production, the studio went so far as demanding that the film feature no blood or on screen violence at all. And then they said, This is a scream movie though. Well, that's funny because Craven is quoted as saying be serious, guys. Either we make a Scream movie or we make a movie and call it something else. But if it's a Scream movie, it's going to have certain standards. Yes. So, exactly what you just said. Um, so, let's see. So, the original film was going to have involve a return of Ghostface to the fictional town of Woodsboro, where the Stab series in the movies is going on. And so, that still would- a movie is being made. Yes, but it was not going to be take place in Hollywood. Okay. Um, and where did I put the? Sometimes too, when I when something is set in Hollywood, and let's say it is like a third movie in a franchise, and it, and a, much of the movie takes place on a studio lot, it always does make me think of like how much money, how much lower of a budget does this have? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So so he. So Williamson had a different idea, and I know there there was one thing I read where there was supposed to be this climactic scene, which sounded really cool, where all these people who had been influenced by the Stab movies, I think it was going to be like kind of like a gang of people were killing people in oh. Ghostface masks, and she was going to go to a house at the end of the movie where the killer was, and there would be all these dead kids who have kids being like teenagers who all are wearing ghost face masks and because they'd all been influenced by the movie. And then they were all going to stand up cause they were like faking it. And so there'd be like 20 ghost face people like standing up to attack her at the end of the movie. And that just sounds like a really intense scene. Yeah. Um, another thing I think, and I think this goes to the Columbine studio pressure. This movie did not feel very tense for me at all. No. Whereas the both the other movies, there are a few scenes that are kind of like you're really holding your breath. Yeah, this one, I wouldn't say any of the movies. This one the even felt drawn out. Yeah, um, but so Kruger has since uh, admitted that he he didn't really have a good grasp on the characters. He you know he tried. Wait, can to you remind me again could. why Kevin Williamson was scheduling conflicts? Oh, he okay. started that's working right, on some other right. projects, okay. but he provided an outline and a plot. Right. Okay. So, but then he didn't. Kruger didn't have a great grasp on the characters. Yeah, and he's since like basically admitted that. Um, and he said there there was even uh, there were early scripts that he had where um, Sidney Prescott was like a Linda Hamilton from Terminator Two, and Wes Craven was like, "That is not who Sidney is at all. What are you talking about?" Oh, like because like a badass this, heroine. Well, yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking of even because in this movie she has what am i trying to say she's it she lives in the woods she's got security systems like she has chosen a certain lifestyle to be prepared for any situation yeah. but it sounds like she would have had a house full of guns and weapons yeah kind of like um uh uh what's her name in halloween 
Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis in the last Halloween movie. Yeah. Where that's kind of how she kind of is like a Linda Hamilton. Yeah. In that movie. Yeah. Am I right? I think you are. <laughs> um so so basically just like the the characters just like the actors in the stab movie who are saying this this was the kind of shoot where you would show up and you didn't know what you were going to shoot and they were rewriting pages like every day they mm. were throwing out pages every day something like like the Woodsboro set in Hollywood like Wes Craven was like I just wanted to revisit Woodsboro in some way so can you guys build this set and then Aaron Kruger's like, oh, oh, okay. So then he's like writing scenes that involve that set. Like this, mm. so it's very like run and gun. Okay, we made that decision. There, there's there's all this stuff about how, like, um, I forget the guy's name, but the guy from Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. They finished filming the movie and then they realized like they had forgotten that he was in the movie. And so they had yeah. to go back and film scenes that included him in the ending because they straight up like, he just was out of the last like 45 minutes of the movie. Wow. That's so, crazy. So there was all this stuff like that where where characters, you know, they would just forget what to do with them and then weeks later they'd go, "Oh crap," like and write a new scene. That's a nightmare. So I mean, you can tell right away when you when you take all that into account, it's kind of miraculous that the movie functions. Yeah. Because it seems like it should be less cohesive than it is. Yeah, and like not having a grasp on the characters is just such a dis- disadvantage because in the last movie, there are so many new faces because of where she's at in her life and stuff yeah. with Sydney. But because he knows her so well in her situation, it's like, because we know her, therefore these things are going to happen and these are the people who are going to be in her life. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like that in this movie at all. No. Um. So I did find the the Kevin Williamson original yeah. pitch. So um he so there would have been killers would have been from a stab fan club of okay. Wood Woodsboro kids. All the members of the club would have been involved in the killings and the final twist of the movie was when Sydney walked into the house after Ghostface had killed everyone. And then they all rose up, none of them were actually dead and they'd planned the whole thing. You know, this kind of sounds similar to the next movie. I don't remember, so keep it under wraps for me because okay. I, I like forgetting these movies. Okay. Then and if you, he wrote the next movie, he did. I think he kind of got to do a little bit of that version. Cool, cool. Um, so here's something else that you pointed out in the movie. You, we're watching the movie, and you go, "I think Nev Campbell must have been busy or something because she's hardly in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's amazing when she's in this movie, as always. She rules." Come on the podcast anytime. Uh, but she's not in this movie very much. Well, the reason is she was only able to shoot for 20 days. Yeah. On this movie. That's it. So that's why they had to emphasize particularly Dewey and Gail. Yeah. Which I kind of enjoyed because I uh, have been tricked into enjoying David Arquette's performance. <laughs> um, and then finding out what the bombshell you're going to drop later about them. Mm-hmm. Um so that was that was a big thing. That that the main character couldn't work that much on it. Yeah. Uh Carrie Fisher helped write her cameo, which I just don't get that cameo appearance, which we'll yeah. talk about later. Um and then here we go. You didn't see anything about it? No. Oh. Yeah, I I don't really get what the joke is of that 
Um, they, are you trying to look up a little bit? Good. Um, uh, can I keep going? or Because this is a crazy one. In a 2009 interview, Matthew Lillard, who is in the first one, one of the killers, yeah. said that he had been contracted to um, contracted to reprise his role in Scream 3, and he would have survived the first movie, and he was orchestrating the new Ghostface killer And he turned deaths. it down? Um, following the Columbine High School massacre shortly before production, the script was scrapped and rewritten. It would have been awful. I would have hated that so much. I know. I just would have liked to see him in the movie again, though. Yeah. But, yeah. What do you got? Uh, this is a funny trivia. Lee Schreiber insisted that Cotton Weary should remove his jacket in the opening sequence. Schreiber had been working out a lot at the time and wanted to show off his physique. Are you looking in the trivia? Yeah, I just want to see if there could be a through nugget the of something. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't look through all of it because it's like eight pages long, but um, I thought you were going to like Google it or something like that. No. The only thing that I saw is uh, you find out that Leia and Luke are brother and sister in the third movie, and this is the third movie where Sydney finds out she has a half-brother. But that that's okay. not worthy of a cameo appearance. Yeah, it's just, and and maybe you're going. I think, I mean, it's just funny to see Carrie Fisher make fun of herself. But for a series that is about movies, I I am reading into the fact that like why why is the cameo in there if it doesn't mean anything and it's just a throwaway joke? Yeah. It should have a purpose. Yeah. And I mean, she does make the joke about sleeping with George Lucas. Yeah. Um, and this movie has that thread through it where it's like all these women have to sleep with the directors to Did be in she? the movies. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that that's true. Um, but, uh, and if it was true, I don't think she would be saying it on a movie. Yeah. I just thought I'd ask. Yeah. Well, great question, but, uh, I'm pretty sure no. So anyway, it's just weird. I, I just don't think it really like fits the tone of this movie. Um, yeah, three months after completing principal photography, the ending was refilmed. So, I mean, it's just like they're just constantly changing things. And there was, you know, extended fight scenes, cut scenes, all this stuff. And as with every other movie, Craven had to fight tooth and nail with the MPAA. Yeah. Um, and, and he said, uh, the director stated that this movie almost made him leave horror in at all yeah because it was so hard to yeah. figure it out um but the movie did set a record in opening weekend for february 2000 so it uh what's it, the budget what it make the budget is did 40 you million that? Uh, yeah i did all that how much money did it make you don't have to go back a lot it made a lot yeah okay. it, did, it did great but it but it set like an opening weekend record and then mission impossible 2 beat it later that year oh okay um i mean not surprising that's just a bad movie. Yeah, Mission Impossible 2 is the worst Mission Impossible, yeah. but as Patrick Willems suggests in his What is Mission Impossible, that is the movie where they find out all the things that Ethan Hunt can't do, and then all the rest of the movies, they're able to improve upon it by not repeating those mistakes. That's true. So That's a good point. It's a great it's just point. A, it's so bad. It's one of those bad movies where it's just like, this won't end. I know, I know. Um, so... Another thread on this movie. Well, maybe we'll we'll cover that we'll cover that later. It's more of a theme than it is a note on the movie. Okay. So that's my notes. I mean, did I blow your mind with some of that? Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I'm like totally blown away. Patrick Dempsey, uh, you know, Doctor McDreamy or whoever, 
is in this movie as Kincaid. He's also in Grey's Anatomy, Enchanted, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, um, Surreal Estate Devils. Did you say Surreal Estate? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Funny title. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Bridget... Oh, wait, Bridget Jones' baby. That's McDreamy. Would you, you would you like me to have his kind of hair? Would uh, you prefer that to me like being you? bald? I don't care. I don't know. Because I made a comment about his hair. I, I but if 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 I y- said while we were watching the movie, I pointed at Patrick Dempsey's hair and said, That is celebrity hair. Yeah. If if I had hair like that, would you like it more than than I'm bald now? <laughs> I don't know. You can say yes. I won't I, be I mad because I literally can't well, do anything about, about it. What hair I would like? I'll get back to you. I don't know. I really haven't thought about that. You got kind of scared, like I was putting you in a trap. You know, you were putting me in a trap. I guess so. Um, call me Jigsaw. So I guess should we save? Because I put you in a trap. Let's save Carrie Fisher for Star Wars and give her her due. Sure. Yeah. Um. We all know Carrie Fisher and love Carrie Fisher. Let's just it's say she's hard to find people. In she's there. amazing in When Harry Met Sally. Yes, she is. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Silent Bob and Jay are in this movie, which means that the the Scream universe is a part of Clerk, like the Clerks universe, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really insane. Yeah, that was a fun cameo. That was just weird, and it was very like, "Hey, Silent Bob, that's." Blah, 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 blah. When, and that's that's the other thing where like if if they were commenting on cameos, because what I what I'm struggling with this movie is that I don't think it has a strong take on what it is satirizing, or it's trying to like make fun of in other movies. It's yeah. just doing stuff. Yeah. And then the Randy scene almost makes me forgive. It makes me forgive some of the movie, but there's. This is what I think that they, we're, we're lacking the bite that the other two have. When we get to the Randy scene, I have words. Oh, but okay. Patrick Warburton plays Stephen Stone, who is Jennifer's bodyguard. Patrick War. Okay, I always Patrick think he's Warburton. putty. He's just putty I know, to so me. So he's putty in Seinfeld, and he plays Kronk in The Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, that's really all that matters. It is. Um, he's great. Uh, Parker Posey plays Jennifer Jolie. She's in. Um, she's a Christopher Guest head, and this she's is in the, a lot of his movies. The only movie I think that I've seen of hers where she does not chew gum in the movie. Seriously, I know. Um, so yeah, she's in a lot of Christopher Guest movies. So she is in Best in Show, Mascots, um, Waiting for Guffman, Waiting for Guffman. She's, she's in Days so and Confused, funny. which is not a um, Christopher she Guest movie. Again? She is one of the hazing cheerleaders. That's right. And she was chewing gum. She's worked with a lot of great directors. Yeah, we love Parker Posey. She's great. She's also in The Eye, Superman Returns, Blade Trinity, blah, blah, blah. And then Emily Mortimer plays Angela Tyler, um, who is playing Sydney in the, re- the movie. The Stab movie. 3 movie. She is in Mary Poppins Returns, Lars and the Real Girl, uh, Match Points. Let's see if it is the person in Shutter Island. She, she's, the, she's the mom in Mary Poppins Returns. That's okay. When did Shutter Island come out? 2010. She's in Shutter Island. Is it 2010? Yep. Good job. Wow. He got in- Inception and? And she's in Hugo. Uh, she's in a lot of stuff. 
Good, good year to be Leo DiCaprio. And then Jenny McCarthy plays Sarah Darling. Oh, she's in John Tucker Must Die. That's what I know her from. So she's in that movie. She's also in Dirty Love. Uh, Two and a Half Men. Isn't she in The View? Isn't she one of the titular views? I, I don't know. You don't know who's on The View, Jordan? I don't, I don't know who, if she is. Uh, she's also in Chuck. And then Matt Kiesler plays Tom Prinz, who is uh, playing Yeah, she's in, in The View. Oh, okay. Um, he is also in Waiting for Guffman. Which which person? The guy who's playing Dewey in the Stab movie. Oh, he is. Okay. I guess. Uh, he's in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He was probably a baby. Wow. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That's crazy far ago. Crazy far ago. That's crazy far ago. <laughs> he's in Rose Red, Grimm, Leverage, and a million other TV he's shows. He's in Rose Red. He's so, in Numbers. So he, Bobby Preston... Our friend has acted with that guy. Yeah. Wow. It's true. Dion Richmond plays Tyson Fox. He is in The Cosby Show. Oh, that's probably what I read. Oh, yeah. He's a little boy in The Cosby Show. Um, He's also in Not Another Teen Movie, Hatchet, Psych. Oh, he's the Psych guy. No, 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 no. no. He's not the Psych no, guy. No, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, he's not. He, but he's in Psych and a ton of other TV shows. Josh Pais or Pays or something plays the other detective, and I think he gets MVP of the movie. He was great. He really acted well on the overworked cop. Yeah, he situation. did. He did. He was so good. He is in Joker, Motherless Brooklyn, Ray Donovan, um, The Mimic, Younger. I don't remember him in Joker, but I could see him doing. I'm sure he was really good in it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Then Lance Henriksen plays John Milton, so he is in Aliens, Hard Target, uh, Alien vs. Predator, Near Dark, wait, 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 yeah, uh, Near Dark, Mass Effect, there's a lot of... The guy's a giant. Yeah. And he's kind of a sci-fi guy. He is, for sure. He's very cool. Um, Scott Foley plays Roman. And I, see, I think one of the other reasons why I recognized and remembered that clip from scream when i was a kid was did you say it's scott foley yeah scott foley is one of the lead actors in a show called the unit you watched a lot of weird uh, not a lot of weird you've just seen a lot of shows that didn't make it past the first couple seasons i have yeah uh, but my dad and i watched the unit all the time it was like our favorite show and he was one of the leads yeah the president in 24 isn't it yeah, Dennis Haysbert. There, okay. There's a lot of guys from that show that have since done... I mean... Um, it actually, this is not surprising to me, based on how much your dad loves political thrillers, that you've yeah. seen this amount of political thriller shows. Yeah, well, that one's more of like a... They, but it's people like your dad love shows like that, yeah. is what I mean. And I, that's all I'm just saying. It's just yeah. the simple fact of I'm not surprised. Um, one One thing, though, that was cool, and I would, like, if I was ever, like... Because in my head, it was amazing. Yeah. Who knows if it really was. I yeah. mean, it's a show on CBS. It probably wasn't. But there was this one episode that was really cool, and I still love this, where they were there was like a Nazi in Brazil, or uh -huh. in Argentina, uh -huh. and the whole episode they were hunting this Nazi, and then they killed him at the end. And I was like, as, as, a, as a kid, you're like, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally. mean, um, but um, I am forgetting the guy's name. But he was in Sopranos, and he's the bad guy in Terminator 2. Robert Patrick. 
Yeah, he he was in that show. He was a oh wow. One of, he was like their commanding general. Cool. So that was like how I knew him. Oh. Before Terminator and Sopranos. Nice. So. Um. Okay. So Scott Foley <laughs> is in the unit. <laughs> He's also in Felicity, Scandal. He's also in Grey's Anatomy. Va va boom. I, um, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What, what? I I think he's really good in this movie. Yeah, he's good. I think he's top three, pretty easy for me. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's really good because he he acts so frustrated with the movie, and it trick it really does. I think the first time, if I hadn't known that he was the killer, I would never have assumed he was the killer because he's so mad that he's losing the movie. That's true. And at the end, all of his hammy stuff with the taking off the mask, despite the weirdness of the twist. Yeah. Um, I think he just plays all that so well. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. He I, I wish he was in more. I like him a lot. I wish he was in more, too. And then lastly, um, Kelly Rutherford is Cotton's girlfriend at the beginning of the movie. Um, she is in Melrose Place, but she's not Melrose. Is and she's not place. Wait, are any of the characters Melrose? That's a street, I think. Yeah, I know, but like, I thought that someone's name was Melrose. Oh, I don't know. It doesn't look like it. Whose place was it? Glance. I thought it was Melrose's place. That's what I thought too. Yeah, but then I isn't there a funny Seinfeld where Jerry is like a closeted Melrose Place fan? Yeah, there and is. He doesn't want is. anyone to know. Yeah. Um. Okay, she is in the. Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. E-Ring, The Fugitive show. Have you seen The Fugitive, like the Tommy Lee Not Jones? Not all the way through. We gotta watch that. That's a great movie. Yeah, that, that's one you're just gonna have to turn it on for me. That's so good. Um, Dynasty, Pretty Little Liars, just TV galore. That's about it. Great. Should I talk about some of the themes or should we just go through the plot? Let's just go through the plot. Okay. So, um, very strong opening. Yes, the cotton stuff. I love it. I do as well. Tell me about it. Um, so it starts with we're in Los Angeles, we're in Hollywood. Cotton is trying to get home. Holly weird is what we like to call it in this household. People, wink, wink. Um, he is complaining to his agent about not getting good enough roles. Yeah. Um, but he's also now like a TV personality. Where he TV can- like like call in radio but it's on tv oh it, well, it is it's, on tv though right no it's like a it's like a jerry springer show because yeah, they show like a, a clip like a later gotcha show yeah. um which makes so much sense yeah yeah i like it he's so scuzzy i i love his character throughout these movies i think it's very fun but he obviously is trying to make it as an act as an actor trying to be taken yeah. seriously in hollywood who so he's complaining to his agent about it and he's stuck in traffic and then he gets a call so this is on his car phone guys remember those yeah um and then he gets a call on his cell phone whoa uh, <laughs> he got two phones. Yeah, he needs them. And it's this girl who says she's dialed the wrong number, but he sounds sexy, like cotton weary. And he keeps on, he stays on the phone with her and wants to know who she is. But he recently he quickly finds out that this is some lunatic who is at his home about mm-hmm. to murder his girlfriend. Yeah. So then we cut to his girlfriend and she does an unforgivable sin in my eyes. Yeah. She gets out of the shower, but she doesn't wipe her feet, and she just makes the floor super wet and walks everywhere and gets wet footprints. And she everywhere. slips later because of it. I'm glad that they pay that off, but I I know that um, boy. yeah, it's a big pet peeve for Micah. Yeah, 
wipe your and feet off. And I gotta off. say, it's a very understandable one that I think just most people don't think about it. But you know what? I I've decided that I think I need to do. I I think I need to dry off from the shower a little differently. Do you want me to tell you on mic? Sure. Um, because usually, you know, as I'm stepping out of the tub, I wipe my foot uh-huh. and go up my leg and step and then do the same with the other over the lip of the tub. But I've noticed there's been a few times where I've kind of tripped and had to hop. That's not safe. So I think I need to start stepping on the mat and then wiping off the mat's my for, leg. Micah. Or I need to wipe off my legs, step off, and then wipe them off again. But I, I do need to kind of, you know, as you get older, you just get into these habits. And it's like, I, I just flash forward to imagining that I'm like a 70-year-old man and I trip and I just break my face open and I think, I can't be doing this anymore. Yeah. Even though I'm not 70. Not yet. Did you love that? Are you glad that the world knows about my bath tr- mat, bathtub drying experience? Oh, I love it. Please call in with your bathtub issues. Post it to our Facebook Your page. Issues. We're not taking baths up in the here. The Macabre Podcast Universe Pandemonium page. Get on there and talk Are about movies. Are you a movies. bath or a shower head? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the killer is going after his girlfriend, and it's just, I think this part is well written in ways where she's like, she locks herself in a room and she is like, this isn't funny, Cotton. I don't like your this stab This is the games. best scene of the movie. It is. And yeah. it's like, ew, gross. What does he do? Does he chase her around with knives? And yeah. And he like gets off on it? Like, that's gross. It is gross. So she locks herself in a room. Marking Cot- explicit for this episode. Because I said get off. Marking it oh, okay. twice now. So Cotton, <laughs> Cotton, <laughs> Cotton is speeding through traffic and he gets home uh-huh. and he goes inside and the door's wide open. Then he sees the door at the end of the hall with all these knife marks in it. And he goes in and his girlfriend has a golf club and she's like, she wants to hit him because she still thinks it's him. Yeah, because the guy's got a recorder of other people's um, yeah voices. It's not just the ghost face voice. Right. So... um he's trying to trying to calm her down but she yeah. gets him good with that golf club she does and then ghostface right before that go he sees ghostface running up the hall and ghostface gets the girlfriend and then it gets cotton yep and they both die and then it says scream 3 in the same kind of font and stuff as the last movies yeah and then we see our our uh main character and she is working at a crisis hotline. Yes. So under a different pseudonym. Do you get the irony, folks? She is people call her and she helps them. Why is and, that ironic? Because she's oh, been getting calling calls. Oh, I didn't think and about that. They they are t- trying like, to kill her. Micah, it's not ironic that someone can use their trauma to help others. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, I suppose there could be irony in that, right? I don't think that's ironic. Well, but the thing I said was ironic, right? Yes, 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 yes. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so she's working on the phone, and that's where we you see, see her. You see that she's very she's secluded herself in the woods, and she's that got- That was one day of shooting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got security up the wazoo in there, because yeah. she has just become a recluse in society. And I, I do like that this series, all four of them treat her with, like, she is a smart character. Yeah, and I even though we have a different writer, like the fact that she's just smart in this movie, it's just all it's just nice. Yeah, because um, you you know after this happening to you two different occasions, you you wouldn't be stupid about it, right? So um, I like that. 
Um, then we cut to uh, the studio. Yep. And they're shooting stab three. They're shooting stab three, and they've recast character. Okay, what I don't understand is in Scream 2, the movie within the movie, is stab one about Scream 1, the events that took place in Scream 1. Yes. And then apparently there was a stab two that happened in between all this time. Yeah. And now there's a stab three, and it seems like they're just making the same movie. Is that a yes. joke? or is That, that like, is a joke. Okay. They did not. It was just not well written. So, okay. So here, here is where we're going to talk about two, I think, pro- big problems with this movie. Um, yes. They, so I don't think they have a strong take, like I said earlier, on this movie. So one thing they could go is they could talk about how repetitive movies are. And they could yeah. illustrate that with this movie that they're making where it's literally stab three re- return to Woodsboro. So is they, that what the, is that real? The subtitle? I believe it was. Okay. Um, it had some, it was something, something Woodsboro, but I think it was return to Woodsboro and they could play on that. Um, but I just don't think they hit it hard enough. This is what I think. And okay. Okay. Sorry, go sorry, ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Seriously. Go ahead. Okay. So I think a big issue with this movie is not having Randy. You don't have yes. that person making But those. don't steal my take that I'm going to bring later. Okay, I don't remember what yours is, so I'm just going to plow ahead. Uh-oh. Um, but th- obviously, later on in the movie, we do get a Randy scene where yes. he like does he records himself. I'm fine with that. Keep it. Yeah. Um, however, I think you need a character throughout the movie. Okay, pause, because that was m- part of my take. But this is who I think it should be. Okay. I think it should be the director. I think it should be Roman. Because, and let's say he even wrote, yeah. directed, per, and is producing this movie, and you still have that other producer, too, because he's, like, the big wig. But, like, Roman is just almost, like, obsessed with this. Uh-huh. And, and like, obsessed that they're on the third movie, and that's what this means for this movie. Yeah. And then all these murders are happening that are basically fulfilling what he's talking about, which is the other two movies. Yeah. And then we still have that Randy scene where, like, he gives us that extra kernel of information yeah and then the major twist is it's still roman i don't like yeah. his motivation i think all of that sucks and yeah. it's just boring but the leading up to stuff i like okay or, or my idea that i like <laughs> i no, i i dig that and that that doesn't take uh, as much of a rewrite of the script as my take is going to take okay. but um we're not quite to where i say that okay actually no i'll do it now what I think this movie needs, if we're assuming Randy is dead, we need... Assuming? I, I mean, like... He's dead. He is dead. Let me just blow past that. <laughs> um, what what we need is is we need the, the Randy scene, but we do need it to be a character that's in the movie outside of two minutes. Yeah, and it's like... Okay, sorry. Keep going. So keep going. what I wanted to see, because it would be a little bit fresher and a different take than just having like a surrogate Randy character, is you have a character, maybe it's Gale, maybe it's Dewey, maybe it's a new character, and the whole movie, they're having this whole side thing where they are watching the third movies in horror franchises. And they are like kind of off on their own, and they're watching Halloween 3, Friday the 13th 3, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and throughout the movie, they are like, guys, I learned another rule. Because I think that would be it would be kind of um, fresh because Randy already knows all the information, 
So it would be kind of nice to have a character that's not just Randy. Yeah. And I think what would be cool is they could talk about, you know, like Halloween 3, Michael Myers is not in Halloween 3. They, they, the studio wanted to do something where every Halloween they just come out with a Halloween movie, and it's like Twilight Zone, but horror. I think it's fun. I, yeah, you kind of wish for that world in a way. That would have been cool. Um, and, and, and if they were commenting on stuff like that, or, or, you know, I don't know my, uh, my history of horror franchises very well, but maybe, you know, the third movies are classically the worst. So they could be like, we just have to think of what happened the first time because that's the exact same thing that's going to happen. Like, if they were just hitting it harder, because the other movies hit their themes pretty hard, and this one it, it just doesn't go far enough for me. This is why I think it would be fun if it was the director slash Roman. I do like that take a lot. Because he doesn't necessarily replace Randy because Randy is such a fun character, and he's yeah. dead, and it is like, if you put just inserted and i like your idea of like the insert a replacement randy but he's like learning it all i like that because that's like a little bit different but let's say it's just roman who is like self-proclaimed uh knows everything like randy does but the fun thing about movies is it's all debate and it's all objective or it's all subjective mm -hmm. so this guy has wrote written and is directing this movie and he's like this is all it's gonna be because it always has to be all these things and he's referencing all these other trilogies for the same reasons. Yeah. And then they still have that Randy tape. And Randy sh gives them this ner this uh, nugget of information that this other that the director Roman hasn't talked about yet. Or like he he didn't think of it because it's all an opinion. Yeah. So like but that thing is but whatever Randy says is fulfilled. I like that. So that's most. like how they vanquish Yeah. R Roman and and figure it out and get out alive is because they had that hack. Yeah, that's what I think would work, <clears throat> and it would still hammer in the theme a lot more, and it would be much more just trying to figure out what's going on. I think like I think it's it, it kind of makes sense with how insane this production was. Totally, that they just completely used Sydney's mom as a crutch in this movie, but it is kind of like poor lady. Like I mean, it sounds like she was not a great yeah. person that they've written her to be, but it's like I'm just. The, the, the last movie, too, was still about those things. And I get it. I get it. But this reveal and all this stuff, it just felt like retconning. And I, and, I and just, they and do, not in a good way to me. Yeah. And, and what, what is ironic is they do set up that, like, something for, like, the past always comes back to bite you. That's one of his rules that he says. Yeah. And they do set up, like, nothing's off the table. It's a third movie. So I do get that. But it's still, it, like, the other movies set up those things, and they're still satisfying, but this one is not. Yeah. Um, but, so we're, we're going to go back to Maureen in a little bit, because I also have a strong take and thought on that. Cool. But the second problem that this movie uh, posits is we have this whole Hollywood theme in the movie, and what I don't like about it is there's like a difference between I'll put it in music terms. There are movies like Love and Mercy, just go with me here, where as a musician I watch that and I go, yeah, that is I mean, I don't experience like everything that Brian Wilson has experienced in his life, but I can relate to like the labor he put over these songs and and how the studio works. 
But then you watch a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's like, I know this is about real events, but just none of this happened like this. It's just not possible. It's not how music works. And that movie had nothing to say. And it had nothing to say. And I think a lot of times when people make things about art, whether it's like painting art or music or movies, there's this surface level, like, here's what we're going to say about Hollywood. It's weird and everyone's vain. But they're not like actually taking a a, a, a stab at it. And it feels, <laughs> no pun intended, uh-huh. but it, it feels like the person who wrote this has never been to Hollywood yeah. and knows nothing about movies. It doesn't feel like people who have actually made movies are influencing what is being shown in the movie. Yeah. D- do you know what I'm saying by that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like they could either go into spoof territory or they need to come up with a better take on what they're trying to say with all of Hollywood. Because yeah. it doesn't feel like they're really saying anything. Well, one th- I feel like the most the clearest thing they're saying is how uh, women are just sexually abused to get where they are. And this is the next thing that I want to talk about. Yeah, but keep going. Which is one very ironic because this is produced by he who shall not be named. Yeah. And it's a like a big plot point is how Sydney's mother was an actress in Hollywood, a young actress who was sexually assaulted. Yeah. And how several of the other female actresses in the movie who are playing actors like reference sleeping with directors and producers so that they could get what they want Mm -hmm. and but but it's almost but it still like doesn't go all the way with it exactly so it is like you are bringing up an interesting point but then it kind of just ends like maybe it should have been maybe the killer should have been like if we wanted to keep it on sydney's mom like the killer could have been another girl uh, or another actor uh-huh. who Sydney's mom like got a part over her. This sounds so bad, but I'm just you're spitballing. Yeah, but like like Sydney's mom didn't do those things, and this woman did, mm-hmm. and her mom got to a certain point, but this woman lost everything and got nothing. Sure, or or like this woman, like Sydney's mom, got out of it. She got out of it and had a family. And while while she still was a complicated person, seemed to have a very American dream life. Yeah. When this other person didn't because of the choices they made or something that was done to them that wasn't their choice. Yes. That's it, I um, guess. To, so to expand a, expound upon that, too, and I don't think I'm smart enough to, like, write what this could be, but I do think the movie brings up... This whole idea of, you know, like the the casting couch, as they call it, where it's like you got to sleep with someone in order to get a job. And like you said, produced by uh, he who shall not be named and his brother, Bob. And so there's all this stuff in the movie and it, it presents them. And then it sort of ends with like. And I know it's the killer saying this, but the killer is basically like, hey, your mom was it's implied that she was raped yeah um and and it's like it's like yeah mom mom was raped and that's what started all this and it's sort of like victim blaming her yeah. like because she was raped like all these people got murdered yeah and it f- and i know that's what the killer is saying not necessarily what the main characters are saying but it feels like the movie brings up all this stuff and then it's like yeah like like is the stance of this movie like sorry girls you shouldn't get raped because if that's the stance well, of the movie, kind of, that's they, they really do that bad. A, a little bit. Well, yeah, I know. Because it is like 
It's not their fault. They're like, not the, the ones whole, who did it. The whole it. mom thing is just kind of interesting to me in general, even with the first movie, because in the first movie, she was unfaithful and slept with Billy's dad. Yeah. And, but then like Billy and Stu like raped her and killed her. Yeah. Like that's kind of a weird thing too. That is a that weird doesn't thing really too. Like, I don't like to, yeah. I know it just doesn't like necessarily add anything unless uh, other than like it being brutal uh-huh. and unnecessary. So it is like, that. that's why I think we're now at this movie and I'm like, we're still ragging on the mom. Yeah. It, I don't know. That just sounds lazy at this point. Yeah. And it, it just, it just feels like, okay, we're going to bring up all this stuff and yeah, it's bad, but you know, it was a different time and the girls were kind of the problem. It's sort they, of what the stance of the movie is. Yeah. I don't think that they intended to do that, but that's how it feels and that makes me feel gross. Well, I think that's the issue when you are making a movie, whether it's the third movie of franchise or anything, and those are like those are plot points in the movies and they're very serious issues, but there's nothing done about them. That's when it is yeah. like you can't really bring that up without I don't know, really getting into it yeah, or, or really allowing the, the story to use it one way or the other. Does that make sense? It's kind of just yeah. like half done. Exactly. Therefore, it's just like, I don't know. It's kind of lame. And then yeah. I also just never really enjoy the whole like, I'm her son too. And right, I'm right. mad at you. It's yeah. just like, I don't know. Then how come? And then also his twist is like, he got Billy and Stu to do it in the first movie. And it's just like, then how come you didn't just do it? Right. Why, why did you have to manipulate children into doing it? Right. So the, the twist itself is just very not good. <laughs> and I almost feel like the movie could have just been fixed. Like, like that twist could have felt better if there was a character that was saying how like in third movies, there's always these twists and they always suck. Yeah. Like, if there was someone that acknowledged that, then when you got there, you'd be like, yeah, that sucks. But he said it was going to suck. Yeah. Yeah. But, but obviously, this movie had a te- terrible time in the writing process. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, actually, I won't get into that. So that's a little... we're still kind of at the beginning of the movie. But um, well, and we kind of talked about the whole movie, so we can skip around if we need yeah, to. Yeah. So Gail finds out through the detective that a picture of Marine Prescott, like a young Marine Prescott was left at the murder of cotton. Uh-huh. Um, and so there, this leads detectives to Hollywood, especially to the stab three production. Um, and all of the actors within that production are very worried now. Yeah. Like production might get shut down because of it. So also like, what if they get killed? Cause cotton was also going to be in the movie. Uh-huh. And so they're, they're all talking about it. Them being their own characters all have different opinions about it. But uh, um, Gail is kind of like commissioned by the police department to help assisting the investigation, which I just also think is weird. Yeah. It just doesn't. I guess I just, just didn't even think about it. But logistically, I don't understand how that works. Yeah. Because that sounds very uh, small town. Mm-hmm. But this is L.A. So I, I just don't get that. Patrick Dempsey's like this and this and this, like this picture of Marine. I keep wanting to say Marine Ponderosa. <laughs> Marine Prescott might has something to do with this. Uh, you're a, you're a reporter, Gail. You also like have almost been murdered twice through this whole thing. Why don't you just help us? 
Mm-hmm. And she's just like, I don't know. I just don't think it's well written. It doesn't make sense for her character to me. Yeah. Even though throughout the first two movies, her character has grown. It still doesn't make sense to me. Sure. But she is on set trying to investigate. I don't even understand what she's necessarily trying to do. But then she runs into Dewey and they have fallen out of touch again. Uh, it sounds like they were dating again, but she chose her job over him again. And that's what ended it. Uh, did you did you tell our lovely audience about Courtney Cox and David Arquette? They're married during this time. They got married in 1999, probably while this movie was filming or right before it started sh- shooting. And they, they met on the set of Scream 1. So I'm just wondering if they dated throughout the first two movies. Well, Courtney Cox has a quote where she said, On the first Scream, we were flirting. On the second Scream, we were sleeping together. And on the third Scream, we shared a trailer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the fourth Scream came out when? I think 2011. So they were still married at that time. Okay. They divorced in 2013. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Hollywood news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really got nothing. I don't know anything about their relationship, so I have nothing more to say. Well, sorry. No, I was just saying. We should have called him and asked about it. <laughs> but David, is, or David, Dewey is like kind of in a relationship with Parker Posey. Yeah. Or Jennifer. And Gail's very, uh, what's the word? She's very, um, like when you own something. Pos- she's very possessive of Dewey. Yeah. And she's very mad that he is with Parker. Who is, and, and Jennifer it's is pretty funny. playing Gail in the movie. Yes. So it's also just like, oh, so you're still in love with her. Uh-huh. And uh, so then is Candy next? Who's Candy? Candy is the... Um, <sighs> this movie is not good, Micah. So, mean, okay, so while... Okay, more people are going to get murdered until Sydney gets into the scene. Yeah. And Sydney is just not in a lot of this movie, as we've said. And she's she has holed herself up and there's a scene with her and her dad where her dad is like, well, you're just isolating yourself. That's not healthy. You can't just hide forever. So character-wise, I think they do actually, like, they, they figure out what to do with her to kind of explain her absence. Right. Um, so while she's off staying hidden and the police are trying to find her because they want her to help, or they just need, because obviously this has to do with her. Blah, blah, blah. Candy, who is playing Tatum uh-huh. in the remake, is called to the offices to go over um, some pages with the director, and he's not there yet. She's the only one in the office, and she's on the phone with him complaining how she's 35, playing a 21-year-old, and she dies in the second scene of this movie, and she has to die naked, and how it's just ridiculous that she's yeah. this far in her tr- in her career, and she still has to do this garbage. Yeah. I think that's very funny. Yeah. And she, by the way, she's in the second scene that she's in in the movie as well. In the movie that we're watching with our eyeballs. And <laughs> she dies. And yeah. she's the second person to die. Yeah. That's pretty clever. I like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, she dies. It's an okay death. Fine. Um, I mean, Sydney's having dreams of her mom that are strange. and That feel very much they were grasping at straws. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It's so, it's so, dreams are so interesting because I, I have heard in, in terms of writing, 
and I don't I don't look at this as black and white. I think it's really if you're a good writer, it works. Because uh-huh. Stephen King writes about dreams all the time. Well, he's not a good writer. Just kidding. He's oh. the best. But I, I've heard to avoid writing dreams and stories because it can it can become like a crutch, almost like dreams are so yeah, yeah. like they so mean nothing. And in real life, sometimes that not, it's not just everyone like, can be David Chase and do The Sopranos and have a lot of dreams. Yes. And oh boy, they're good. So it's I think it's like if you're an inexperienced writer, trying to to maybe not go there yeah. to write about dreams. And this movie feels like potentially an inexperienced writer who is like, I don't know, we got to show how Sydney is struggling with all of this. Let's have her dream about her mom. Yeah. When in the second movie, we barely talked about her mom until like the end. It's also like that scene in particular is is like it verged on the line to me where I was kind of like, this almost makes me laugh. Like I was yes. getting close to laughter because it's like very goofy. Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, It's no good. Very bad. Yeah. And we're talking about the director of Nightmares. Yeah, the we Nightmare are. Nightmare on Elm Street himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he didn't write it. <laughs> he did um, shoot it though. And it was not, it was just whatever <laughs> so they're killing in the order of the script the killer and they mentioned keeping the ending off the internet of course see our last episode to hear about that uh her mother calls sydney from the grave at her um home mm. and of course it's really the killer who has the voice thing and now sydney is like crap they found me so she says well i guess i'm just gonna have to face it I'm going to go down to Hollywood and figure this out. Now, here's a plot question. How did Roman figure out where Sydney lives? Because her file was on the desk of the detective. Uh, at one point, the director was brought in for questioning. Maybe he... Yeah. Okay. That's how I would okay, cool. explain it away. Cool. But meanwhile, during that time, um, Jennifer's bodyguard, Putty, gets murdered. Yep. His death is good. He's got a good death. He is. I he, think. he does, I mean. He is good death. He is good death. And uh, in, in that same scene, Gail is like listening in on a window of David Arquette and Parker Posey talking. And then she comes inside and Parker says, we saw you in the window. And she goes, a bedroom you were awful comfortable in. And I just love that she's like, jeal- like, it's like, this guy's not in your life. He can do whatever he wants, girl. She's that jealous of him. Yeah. It's kind of... I gotta say... It kind of, it's very funny. Too much Gale and Dewey in the movie. They, I don't think they can carry the movie. Yeah. I think too much was asked of the characters. Um, and I think... And I understand it's because they didn't get Nev for a lot of it. Yeah. But I, there were just... There was so much of this movie where it was just like... I don't know. It's just not working for me. I kind of was into it. That's good. But I think it was more because I didn't really dig the killing stuff in this but movie. Interestingly, so they bring in McDreamy, but he's not in the movie a lot because yeah. obviously they forgot about him. At some yeah, they point. literally forgot about him. They literally about forgot him. about him. But in the, So in the last movie, we have a whole new cast of characters because most of them died in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And all of them are very like their own person. Yeah. And, and very good. And they got good actors. And then in this movie, yeah, I guess they got new cast of characters, but none of them are have anything to do with Sydney. And I think that's why the second movie is so interesting is because so all of them ha- are Sydney is in their interest of keeping her safe, keeping her comforted and or trying to kill her. Yeah. And then in this movie it's just like 
who any everyone's just trying not to die i guess yeah and it's like they made all of the actors in the movie within a movie unlikable so i just don't care if they live or die yeah that's true and I think that goes back to, like, in this movie, their take on actors is just, oh, all actors are vain and all actors just want to get ahead by any means necessary. They yeah. don't have any nuance. Yeah. Which you could do, but they don't go far enough for a spoof. This is no. this is like, this movie is kind of like the Ant-Man problem we talked about, where it's like, it's not funny enough to be a comedy, it's not heisty enough to be a bank movie, yeah. and it's not superhero enough to be a superhero movie. So the whole time you're like, pick a lane. Yeah. Um. So... There is a pretty fun scene, though. I forgot. Uh, when they're all in the house and they're getting fax machines, they're yeah. getting a fax from the killer who's yeah. saying stuff. Scene's pretty fun. Could have been more intense, but, I mean, it sounds like the studio was saying, like, don't make things intense in a scary movie. Yeah. Um. So, I, I mean, I think, I think that, like, there would be so many things I think we'd forgive if the scary scenes were scary. Yeah. Um. But they weren't allowed to be scary. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like your hands are tied behind your back. And then the studio's like, we're also going to tie your legs too. Yeah. I mean, maybe. And I know money wise, they couldn't afford not to make a, another movie. Yeah. Because they just make too much money. But it's well, just and they, like. They probably had this great outline from Kevin Williamson. So they I'm had saying. a great place to start. They did. And it's just maybe wait. Yeah. Which I know that does, that is not, those words don't translate. To a producer, to a producer. Yeah. <laughs> they they can't compute to wait for the right time. Um, by the way, I was so I was reading um Easy Writers Raging Bulls Raging Bulls last night, and I had no idea because so this book for those who are listening is about the seventies cinema and how, how it was saved like, cinema saved cinema, and I'm at the very beginning. But the the writer is kind of citing Bonnie and Clyde as the beginning. And so he's talking about Warren Beatty a lot. Oh, you're going to get a lot of Warren Beatty in that book. Okay, already I'm like, whoa, this yeah. is so interesting. But I did not know that Warren Beatty was like uh, working on this movie, um, What's New Pussycat? Yeah. He was working on this movie, and they needed a comedian, and they'd heard of a guy named Woody Allen like performing and they went and saw him and asked him to be in the movie and then he was in the that movie he's another who he usually not be named oh is he at this point well i i i at, know he is but he, i didn't know we made he, that rule henceforth henceforth yeah okay um but it was just interesting because i never yeah. i don't know so much you're saying that's how he was discovered that's like how he really got his movie start and yeah. then that's wild Beatty was like kind of his role was lessened to give more Screen time to he who shall not be named two. Let's call him the Cedar Man, because Cedar is a wood. It's a type we can of wood. Just call him Voldemort. No, because oh, that's okay. more he shall not be named. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to think. Of, yeah. So anyway, Cedar Cedar Man. He. So that's like how he gets to start, and then Beatty's like his role is like cut in that movie, like uh, significantly from Beatty's what it role? was. Yeah, because they they liked him so Cedar much. Man so much. That's I interesting. Just, I was just like. That book is so good. I would read it again. It, it was so good. Like, I, so I read the intro and I was like, oh, this is really, really good. But once it started explaining stuff last night, I was like, oh, I see what she means by a page turner. Cause I kept on, 
it, there's like a break every page just uh-huh. about. And that, I kept and on. Yeah, that's why it's also so readable. Yeah, well, I, I got to the end of one and then I'm like, I'll do one more. And that, I did like three that, after. That's how I read that. I remember specifically I was in college and I was in at my roommate's house in New Hampshire for like a weekend and I I just knocked out that book like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Also, same house, knocked out Helter Skelter like crazy. Another good one. Yeah. But yeah, I've been making a little letterboxed list of movies. movies to watch. Yeah, I'm not including all of them, but just the ones that I maybe are like significant or I've heard of and I haven't yeah. watched yet. So I only have three on there right now, but I'm people should read. If, if you're interested in film and film history, which you probably are, that is like one of the best books that I've read on film history. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that was a total side tangent. Yeah. I just have, you know, you hear about actors, especially from those decades. Yeah. And you're and like, you what, just, how did they start? Yeah, it's like like with newer actors, we we kind of know, yeah, because we've been with them, like a Pattinson, for example. Yeah, but but someone like even Warren Beatty, you know, it's like he's been alive forever. I don't know. You know, we don't realize how revolutionary it was to put everything on the line to make Bonnie and Clyde. And a not movie, only that, to make a movie about, and I know Bonnie and Clyde is a true story. Yeah, but like to make a movie about a man who is incompetent, In, incompetent, impotent. Yeah. Like that is wild. Yeah, for the sixties, that's yeah. like crazy. And yeah. and so it, it's 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 pretty good. So yeah. anyway. That's Sissy Spacek. No, that is No, it's um, um what is her name? She's in network. Yeah. And she's in Chinatown. I'm gonna look it up because I gotta know. Okay, okay. Faye Don Faye Donahue. Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway, yeah. yeah. Faye Dunaway, unbelievable actress. Yeah. Also for those who have not seen it, I'll, I'll throw this recommendation at, at Dominic and Lillian specifically because they seem to be watching along on these movies watch the movie network i'm not talking social network i'm talking network although if you haven't seen social network you gotta watch social network too very true just make it a double feature i just remember when i watched network for the first time i was kind of like whoa this is i mean are there movies that are better than this yeah it's so good (laughs) it's so good um, a movie where a woman acted in one scene and won an Oscar. Yeah, she's she's in it for like one scene, two and a half minutes or something like that. And she won an Oscar. She won an Oscar. And the first time I watched, it, I thought, no way. And then I watched it again, and I was like, sure, yeah, she's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then they watched the Randy video. What are we talking about? Scream Three. Oh, okay. Not um, old Hollywood. Not old Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> um. They watched the Randy video. He tells them how how. <laughs> The trilogies work how the third movies work no one is off limits now which means sydney can even die um and randy comments that he's not a virgin anymore he's not a virgin and he's anymore. like oops big mistake or That's something why like he's that dead. all this stuff and then what does he say about the killer though like it could be so he says one it's a superhuman killer yeah. two anyone including main characters can die three the past will come by back to bite you in the ass yeah. Those are his three rules for this movie. And he says something that I drove me nuts. Yeah. Um, so he says the third movie always reveals something that you thought you knew that is not what you thought it was. So he says, think of it, think of the movies with three. And he cites two. He says, Return of the Jedi, Godfather Part Three. And I go, Okay, Return of the Jedi. Is Carrie Fisher there just for that Easter egg? Probably. Um huh. But so I go, okay, Return of the Jedi, what we thought we knew was that Luke and Leia were not related. We find out they are. Okay, I know what he's talking about. Not but, only not related, but love interests. Yes, 
And then we find out that they're brother and sister. Yeah. That's the twist. Okay. But in Godfather Part 3, what the heck is the twist? We just covered this series. What is the twist that reveals something different about Godfather 1 and 2? There is not one. He's wrong on that account. Unless we're saying the fact that Sonny has a son. Which I don't think is a twist. It's just like someone we just didn't meet in the first movie. Yeah, I'm still just thinking about it. That, that's just kind of like, it's just a weird oversight. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Just like in, the, remember in Scream 2. Was there anything about his marriage? No, no, I mean, the only things that happen are like, like life has developed since the second movie. But those yeah, are not like, like revelatory events. Isn't in the mafia. That's not, that doesn't count. Because he says it changes what you know. Because, yeah. like, the Luke and Leia thing, you rewatch four and five, and you know that they're actually well, related. Why, why does Michael have to abdicate being the Dawn? Because he passes it on. Well, he's trying to get out of it the whole time, which he's the trying to get time? out. He's trying to get out in movie two. So that's not new information. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that, that's just a. It's just funny to didn't have... think Sofia Coppola was going to die? <laughs> it's just funny to have, like... Like, if you're going to make a movie about movies, you got to know what you're talking about. Because... Yeah. Because, again, you maybe you're going... You guys are taking this way too far. But the thing is, this movie literally asks you to say, you love movies, you love dissecting movies, now we're going to dissect movies. So if you're going to do that, you have to know your stuff. Yeah. That's why we do research when we do our episodes. Although sometimes we're wrong about takes and stuff like that, but most of the time, all of our episodes are the best podcasts that have ever existed, ever. Yeah. And if you want more, you can go to patreon.com slash Micah and listen to our episode on Kill Bill Volume 2 this month, and then next month, we're doing the live-action Scooby-Doo. So they <laughs> find out that there's a connection with John Milton, who is the director. Producer. Producer, I mean. So they have to go... So yeah, but this is how they find out. They're they're looking at a um, promo pic of Gail of Jennifer as Gail yeah. <laughs> on set, which is the worst Photoshop job. It's very bad. And then they also notice that Marine Prescott from back then has the same is the same set backdrop behind her for this press photo. Yeah. So they realize that he was one of oh, and then through Carrie Fisher they find out that she's one of Milton's girls. Like she's been in Milton's movies. Yeah. Who was the producer of Stab 3. So they go to his office to confront him, and that's where they find Roman complaining about. He was questioned by the police, and he's afraid that his career is over. Yeah. Whatever. So they're asking him about, like, how do you know Maureen Prescott? What is what is all of this? Blah, blah, blah. And he tells them about he would always throw these parties. One night, it got out of hand. It was a different time. And obviously he well he insinuates that she was sexually assaulted yeah but he's like almost it's almost like it almost feels like she knew the risks that's what i mean it's like it's her fault is is what everyone in in this movie is saying i know it's not and people should not blame victims for something happening to them that is inherently false yeah and wrong but boy i i i and and I know sometimes, you know, you can make a point by taking the opposite stance in a movie. And, and this is a satire. Yeah. But they just don't do that. Yeah. They just leave it there. And, and you know, this script just feels, sometimes you can feel 
when a script is written by a man. Yeah. This is a man written script. Well, and yeah, they're it talking about some consultation from some women, I they're think. They're talking about this terrible thing that happened to this woman when all the other actors who are women in this movie are saying that they all have had to sleep with people too to get where they are. So basically saying that nothing's changed. The times haven't changed. Yeah. Well, it's and they just, haven't. I mean, now I no, think no, they're getting better. I mean, better, obviously but, yeah. they haven't, but the movie's not making a stance on it. Like, like it's just no. still an issue. But it's not really a part of the movie, but it is. Yeah, it's sort of like, don't bring it up unless you're going to have something to say. Yeah, it's so sort of like, how I feel about I how they treat it in this movie. I don't really know what they got out of this conversation other than that and how that helps them get somebody closer to the killer. But all of them go to Milton's that, to that night because it's Roman's birthday and they're celebrating there. The cast is. Yeah. And um, Dewey and Gail were planning not to, but they get a call from Sydney saying that she's going to be there. Um, and they go. Sydney's not there. Obviously, it was Ghostface that called. Yeah. They find the costume, but they don't know who the killer is. Mm-hmm. So they're most of the cast is like just exploring the house because it's a, this huge Hollywood mansion that it supposedly has like secret compartments and stuff. Which I would love to be in that house. That sounds so fun. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So. They go down to the basement where he has all of his horror movie props and costumes, which I which was fun. Yeah. Um, and one of them, Gail finds Roman stabbed and dead. Uh-huh. So this is what's a little confusing about that. He obviously faked it. Uh-huh. How did he get his pulse not to show up when Gail checked for his pulse? No idea on that. Okay. That's that's like probably something they forgot to write, honestly. Probably because did he take a drug? But then again, if he did, how would be able to like have the wherewithal yeah, to get not... out of that coffin? Because the like in in uh, episode one in in Scream one, you know, Skeet gets shot and then he comes down and he's licking his fingers. He's like, mm, corn syrup. So you know, but this one, it's just like, yeah, he died. But but I mean, actually, in their defense, though, they do say that the killer is supernatural in the third movies. So I think they're I think they're trying to play on that. Okay. Because you know, like when when you keep shooting him after he gets up, yeah, they're playing sense. on that as well. That makes sense. But the pulse thing doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. I, that's me giving it like yeah. a lackluster answer. So Ghostface is in there and he's tearing through the house, killing everybody. And then we have the showdown. Yeah. Then then the killer calls Sydney and says that Dewey and Gail is are there and he'll kill them if she doesn't come. So she shows she go shows up alone, mm-hmm. and they have the showdown. She shoots the the ghost face, but he gets away, even though he was shot. I don't know. She runs into a secret room, and then they they talk and they have the twist, which we've talked about. Yeah, well, I will say the one thing I like is he's on the phone with Milton, or no, he brings Milton out. Yes, and he has him at. Uh, he has the knife to his neck and Milton's like, I'll give you, I'll give you, um, whatever project you want. It's greenlit. Like you can write it. You can do whatever you want. I'll give you final cut. And he says, I already got final cut. And then he slits his throat like that. And then when Sydney goes, well, why did you, which answers your question, sort of, she's like, why did you have these kids kill my mom instead of you doing it? And he says, I'm a director, Sid. I direct. I still don't like it. 
I like the line and I like the idea. Sure, the line's fine, but it's just like, why do you feel still feel like you need to kill people then if, if it was all done? I, I don't think it works. I just I just like that exchange of lines. Okay. That's that's more Everything's accurate. fine just for those lines. Yeah. And and we find out that they're, you know, he's he's her half brother. Yeah. Um and and when he came back home, his mom was like, I want nothing to do with you. That's his motivation. And so finally, which is just so interesting. I, I obviously like he he is a child of rape, right? Like that they've made that clear. But cuz he also just talks about how she was just sleeping around with people. I don't know that they specified the father. I don't situation. think they did either, which is but which is a little confusing to me is well, th- maybe this is just because th- these things are always complicated. Yeah. So when you have that sprinkled in with maybe not written the best yeah. It just, a lot of things are just very confusing that I don't understand. Yeah. But like, Sydney has nothing but, but Sydney chooses to remember the good parts about her mother, um, that she was loving to her and a good mother to her, although she was unfaithful uh-huh. and really doesn't know that much about her mom. But for someone who seems to be so loving, and then this kid, some this guy, someday one day shows up or contacts her and is like, "Hey, I'm your son. You you gave me away, but I want to have a relationship with you." Mm-hmm. And she doesn't recognize him. Ah, oh, that happens every day, though. Yeah, haven't you seen Shazam? Yeah, I have. Okay, never mind. But it is just always a little confusing. But I think that's one of those things where I just don't get it. Yeah. So then he dies, and then it's the end of the movie. They did that thing again where he comes back to life kind of thing where you have to, like, shoot him, and it's, like, yeah, yes, this time we, get, it's we like, get it, guys. We yeah. get it. I mean, even the second time, it's a little like, okay. Yeah. Um, But uh, then the... Then uh, uh, Dewey proposes to Gail, yep. and... Oh, I didn't even talk about her hair. Yeah, go for oh, it. Go for gosh, it. Gosh, guys, Gail has... Uh, Courtney Cox has a very bad haircut in this movie. It just, it does not work. And I'm sorry, but like her bangs are very short. And Micah pointed out that it seems to be that she's wearing much less makeup in this movie. Uh-huh. So it just, she just looks, I, I uh, she just doesn't look good. <laughs> and I don't want to use certain words that I want to use for what she looks like because that's insensitive. Yeah. But it's just not a good look. And it is so distracting the whole movie. <laughs> and maybe that's part of why I'm just like, there's too much Gale in this movie is because I have to look at those bangs. <laughs> They're bad bangs for sure. Yeah. I mean, we've heard of the Big Bang Theory, the show, but what about the Bad Bang Theory, the show? <laughs> um, let's add some canned laughter in that. I'm going to make a note there. It'll be some nice canned laughter. So... so- um, so yeah, killer's then, dead. They're all fine. They're, and then they're going to yeah, watch a movie together at Sydney's house with McDreamy, which is just like, Oh, kind of random. Okay, sure. Why not? And then she looks, the door kind of opens by itself and she looks at the door and she doesn't go back to lock it. She instead turns away. Cause I guess she has no more fear. She's made the, peace with it. I think I'd turn around and lock it for sure. Yeah. I understand. I understand that. I understand it. Because throughout the movie, she's been talked about how she's just guarding herself because of all of these things when she can't be afraid forever. I do understand what you're saying, and I totally am yeah. like, I would still be locking the door. I, but I, I think, I'll be I think honest for with you. What, it, what it represents, 
I think it's I'll be honest with you. I, I, you know, I try to be a very, I, I consider myself a very smart and smart film watcher. Um, but uh, when that happened, I was like, I don't get what they're trying to say with that. <laughs> that she's just choosing to not live in fear. Okay. Okay. I just didn't really get that. That's okay. The whole movie didn't make sense. But, but I think, I think uh, it's like, I, I guess part of me too was like, is that what they're trying to tell us? Cause I don't. Like just because she like she's just gonna make stupid decisions now. <laughs> yeah. Because again, this is a series about like making fun of horror movies, and that's a bad decision to make. Yeah. But may- maybe I'm going a little crazy at the end because it it is shot really nice and it feels uh-huh. like it means a lot. But I was just kind of like, huh, okay. Yeah. It, it it also doesn't help that we know there's other movies because I think so. I think so. I think if it does end with just Scream Three, the door's still open. It's like she. It, it, it posits two things, like she's over it, and two, maybe there's a killer still out there, and maybe it'll come back, but we'll never know, because there's no more movies. Yeah. But since there's more, it's kind of like, huh, okay, I well. I guess you should have locked that door. <laughs> yeah. But that's Scream 3. Yep. Weird. Yeah. It it I know we, we dunked on it a lot. It's still like a functioning movie, and if you enjoyed one and two, I think you'd still enjoy this to an extent well i think it's fun to criticize it yeah it in a yeah i think i think you it is fun to hold it up to a certain pedestal because of the other two movies and i think they ask you to do it because the first two movies are so critical of movies yeah that's what makes it fun and that's why it is worth watching the third one yeah um so you know please rate and review us we want some more reviews we love reading those reviews oh we love it give us five stars And we'll see you next week for Scream 4. Bye. Oh, 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 oh. Hang on. Hold the phone. Um, I think we also, I don't know exactly when this is coming out, but around this time we're coming out with our Halloween episode, our third annual Halloween episode where we're covering Chaos Walking. Yeah. So make sure and download you better that listen episode. to that because we have to watch that dumb movie. Yeah, and if, if you're new to this year of podcasts, every Halloween we cover a movie that was supposed to jumpstart a franchise, but it failed to do so. Because what's scarier to a Hollywood producer than a failed movie franchise? So listen to our Halloween episode. We'll see you next time. Oh! We figured out that the movie that freaked Jordan out was Omen 3 The Final Conflict. Thank you and go sign up for Patreon.